We're glad you're joining us here at Common Thread Online. This is a recording of our community gathering as we do each week to think together about the spiritual journey. At the end of the lesson, we open the floor for discussion, but we'd love to hear what you're thinking as well. On our website are directions to download our app. Once you have it, join the group. What are you thinking? We'd love to connect with you there. Reading from the Gospel of Luke. Looking at his disciples, Jesus said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you, and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. I think you all might be getting used to me coming up here and talking about Jesus by now, yeah? You know, a week and a half ago, um, we hosted this Braver Angels book signing event here, and the moderator and I were chatting in the fellowship hall afterwards, and Dusty was there, as a matter of fact. And the moderator asked me what my last sermon was about, and I responded, Jesus. And without missing a beat, he asked, was Jesus the topic, or did you just spew an expletive? That was what... <laughs> That's when I thought the guy might belong here. <laughs> well, the thing is, I like Jesus. I love him even. Over the past few years, I've been reading his words with new eyes and hearing them with new ears. And whatever it is you think of Jesus in a theological sense, I think it's hard to deny that the guy dispensed some of the most profound and perplexing wisdom in the history of humankind, like this passage here from Luke. I saw an article once that was titled, live the Beatitudes, and live in gratitude, which I thought was a cute rhyme for a list of crazy talk. I mean, these are the things that will bless my life. These are the things for which I should be grateful. Poverty, hunger, grief, insults, persecution, hatred. Well, yes, and no, but yes. And we talk about gratitude here on the regular Common Thread. Pardon me, folks, I am uh, having some technical difficulties. We talk about gratitude and thankfulness on the regular here at Common Thread, especially in November. And Doug spoke about thankfulness habits a couple of weeks ago and admitted the practice of thanksgiving, albeit life-changing, can seem kind of mundane. And I'd offer that it is also a potentially uncomfortable practice, giving thanks for the good things in our own lives, especially knowing how many others lack them, and especially with so much grief and anguish in the world right now. So much grief and anguish. It's Gaza, Ukraine, Congress, school shootings, Ukraine, climate change, division, depression, loneliness, and trauma. You know, grief and anguish have always been with us right from the very beginning of creation. But thanks to all sorts of 21st century media assaulting our senses, never have we all been more conscious of just how rampant and heavy grief and anguish are in our world. I don't think any one of us was meant to carry as much of the world's heartbreak as we do these days. Even when things might be going well for us personally, it can be hard to find gratitude in the midst of global misery. And it can also be hard to feel thankful when so many of us have had it drilled into us as kids that God dishes out good things only to those whom he favors. The old yarn, but for the grace of God go I, comes to mind something I'd hear my parents and grandparents say when encountering or learning of someone else's misfortune. If it weren't for God's grace shown to me, I could be in as bad a spot as her. 
And this worldview depends upon belief in a pretty lousy God, a God who seems quite unaware of what Jesus is saying here in the Sermon on the Plain. Blessed are the wretched. The worse you have it, the more thankful you should be. <coughs> Crazy talk. So let's back things up a bit and ask, what is gratitude? What is thanksgiving? Why do they matter? And where are we directing our thanks exactly if we no longer believe in an omnipotent, gift-giving God out there whom we must thank for the good things in our lives? And Brother David Stendel Rast, an Austrian Benedictine monk who you might remember made a splash on YouTube 10 years ago with his TED Talk on happiness, makes what I think is a helpful distinction between the terms gratitude and thankfulness. Gratitude, he says, is a quality we can understand, but we can't grasp. It's like music. I mean, we can know a lot of things about music when we break it down into its component parts. We can understand notes and signatures, time signatures, melody and harmony, beats and rhythm. But even for all that, what is music? Why does it have the capacity to move us, to move our hearts, our souls, our bodies? We can't quite grasp it, but music, it certainly grasps us. It does something to us when we surrender to it. And so it is with gratitude, says Stendhal Rast. Gratitude speaks to an interior experience that, much like awe, wonder, and mystery, is quite beyond words. It's a welling up of inarticulate joy within our hearts. And gratitude moves stagnant energy when we're feeling stuck. It disrupts negative thoughts and changes our perspective. It's a flow, a life force even. It comes from somewhere deep within us, and our ability to inhabit gratitude depends on our openness to it working in us and on us. We can't grasp gratitude, but if we are open and empty enough, gratitude can grasp us. And then gratitude comes to a point where our hearts overflow, and as Stendhal Rast puts it, joy comes to itself. The inarticulate becomes articulated, the unmanifest becomes manifest in something we do. We smile, we sing, or we thank somebody. And this outpouring Stendhal Rast calls thanksgiving. So thanksgiving, then, is the outpouring of the gratitude. And deep, genuine gratitude generally comes to us via one or two pathways, suffering and practice. I have a dear friend, Rick. And Rick has had a hard life. In fact, he's referred to it himself as a shit show from day one. Abuse of childhood military trauma, lousy long-term marriage that ended in an acrimonious divorce, estranged from his children and grandchildren. He's been diagnosed with cancer. He lost his long-term job and had a hell of a time finding another one. And once he did, it was with a startup that ran out of money, left him without income for too long, and left him feeling betrayed by a founder he once trusted. Sometimes, quite understandably, he would rage to me about things, mostly about the startup, since we were in the same boat on that one. Rick is in a better place right now on many of these counts. He's got a decent job again. His second marriage warms his heart, nourishes his soul, and he is for now cancer-free. During a wide-ranging conversation we had over drinks last week, he wound up mentioning thankfulness unbidden three times, and yet he didn't mention the new job, his current wife, or his good health. He said, I'm so thankful for the childhood I had because it taught me resilience. I'm so thankful for losing my job and how things went down in the startup because they taught me humility. I'm so thankful for the cancer journey because it helps me to be there for my brother who is going through the same thing right now. 
I was struck by this. The things he listed for which he was thankful were not the good things he has going on in his life currently, but the hard things in his life that turned out to be generative, the poverty, the rejection, the grief. Blessed is he indeed. In the Beatitudes, Jesus is talking about the possibilities that await us when we surrender to suffering. Author and theologian Brian McLaren notes that with the Beatitudes, Jesus enrolls us in advanced classes in the school of gratitude. He shows us the disadvantages of advantages and the advantages of disadvantages. And one of Jesus' earliest followers, and that would be Paul, says that we should even rejoice in trials because through trials come patience, character, and wisdom. The possibilities are endless. Of course, it's easier to look back on our bad stretches from the perches of our better stretches to see how the hard stuff has somehow wrought good things. When we lose the job, it's really hard to see through the fear of not being able to pay the bills to the potential of a new path in life. When our spouse suddenly decides to leave us, it's really hard to see through the pain of rejection to what new possibilities could emerge on the other side. When someone close to us dies too soon, it's about impossible to slog through the grief to imagine what good could possibly come from such gut-wrenching pain. Our perspective becomes tight, constricted, we have tunnel vision, and we have a really hard time seeing the proverbial light at the end of that tunnel. And yet, these are the things, these kinds of things are the kinds of things that happen to all of us all the time. I had an eighth grade student years ago whose father died too young and too quickly. And in his grief, he told me, I'm not asking why me. I'm asking why not me. Shit happens to everyone, and I'm no exception. I don't know where Daniel is right now, but I wonder what he sees when he looks back. Because I think most of us can look back on the hard stuff in our lives and see with greater clarity how those things might have worked in us, on us, and for us. Heartbreak, writes activist and author Parker Palmer, has the capacity to make our hearts supple if we let it, a breaking open, not apart, that can grow into a greater capacity for love. And only the supple heart, he says, can hold suffering in a way that opens to new life. From such suffering come seeds of hope recycled from the heartbreaks themselves. And whatever happens can be transformed into some kind of beauty, into a new arising in and through our God in whom we live and move and have our being. So when a new hard thing arises and smacks us upside the head, we can look back on previous hard things and see from this perspective we can trust that things might work out again, that our sufferings might give birth to a greater fullness, to a whole new life. They always have that potential. All this suffering will do it for us, yes, if we let it, which is small comfort when we're in the midst of it. As I said earlier, it's really hard to do when the hardship is right there in our face, permitting us no room to breathe. But we can learn a better way, really, we don't need to wait for life to bring us to our knees for this to be the only way to open up this space for a broken heart to become supple. We really can learn to be present in our trials in the midst of them while inhabiting gratitude so that when life does bring us to our knees, and it will, we can meet those moments with more equanimity and peace and, yes, even inhabit them with gratitude. And the way that we get there is through practice. 
Lakota spiritual teacher Doug Goodfeather writes, when you commit to practicing something, you become its student. Doug Hammock's got a list of thankfulness practices he reminds us of often. Write one grateful thing in a file on your phone each day. Create, remind, create reminders to express thanks to people we love. Speak kind things about our spouses to other people. And these practices can move us along on the gratitude path and help liberate us from the tyranny of our negativity brain biases. The hard part of all this, he says, is staying motivated and sustaining commitment to the practice over time. Truth is, it's only hard if you aren't drawing from a deep enough well, which frankly, most of us aren't. But we can cultivate that well too. Brother Stendhal Rast has one practice in particular that is designed to help us be grateful in all things, if not for all things. But grateful in the good things, the bad things, the big things, the small things, and everything in between. We can do it all the time, and he calls it stop, look, go, like we're taught to do as kids before crossing the street. So the first thing is to stop, because stopping cultivates presence. It's like pressing the pause button just for a moment, ceasing movement and thought, using our mindfulness skills to be present to the current moment and accepting what is. Second, we look. Looking cultivates perspective. It creates just enough space to see what is actually occurring in the moment, to perhaps see the perspective, see from the perspective of a witnessing self, to get a clearer and wider picture of what's going on and contemplate the opportunity that the moment presents. And third, we go. Going, moving forward, taking action cultivates possibility. It means to avail yourself of the opportunity you discovered when pausing to look for it. I had the great fortune of getting to practice this, practice this one day last spring during a relatively low stakes incident. And at the time, I didn't even know what I was doing. So on Good Friday, I spent three hours down the hall here engaged in contemplative practices with some of you, and I had a long list of things to accomplish later that afternoon, including, I hoped, time for a walk on the greenway behind my house. And on the way home, I was alerted to the fact that the air pressure in one of my tires was low. And when I went to put air in it, the tire started deflating, not inflating. I puzzled over this for a hot second, and then I thought, I bet there's a nail in my tire. Folks, don't want you to miss the irony here, is a nail in my tire on Good Friday. So yeah, I didn't welcome the nail, but I did say welcome frustration. And the thing about the welcoming prayer is it's the same internal gesture as we find in gratitude. The same inner softening or suppleness that permits welcome also permits thank you. We can very easily weave the welcoming prayer into this gratitude practice. We have to be present when we do it, conscious. We have to stop, take a deep breath, and inhabit the space and whatever emotions and sensations are happening for us and welcome them gently. We just be. We are present, and it's a pretty good starting point for gratitude. I happened to be at Costco when this happened, and sure enough, the folks in the tire department said they could fix it. So I felt grateful. Probably be about three hours, they told me. I took a deep breath and said, welcome back, frustration. <laughs> I called Maria to see if she could come pick me up, but she was out running her own errands. I hesitated calling nearby friends in the middle of the workday. So I told myself I had the choice to either wait at Costco for three hours 
call an Uber or, oh yeah, I could walk home. It's a cold and raw day. I thought I got across Capitol Boulevard and deal with all that traffic chaos and I'm not gonna have time to do all the things I have on my checklist today, but it's only two miles and sure, I will walk. As I headed out, I surrendered both my disappointment and my afternoon's agenda and stayed with my commitment to presence. As I did this, my perspective began to widen. I looked. I cultivated a sense of gratitude for my tire deflating right outside a tire shop. I was grateful that even if it was cold and wet, it wasn't raining. I briefly lost my temper with a driver who failed to stop at the light when I was crossing the street, then was able to let that go and be grateful for quickly getting back into my own atmosphere. I was grateful for a healed broken foot that allowed me to be able to take this walk in the first place. As I let go of my desire to change the situation, I found that desire to change things really did go away. I was present and I had perspective. And I remembered in this capacious state a different route home, one that would avoid Capitol Boulevard chaos altogether and take me right to my house. And so I went and availed myself of the opportunity. And when I stepped onto that path, I was actually awestruck. It was this magical stretch of the greenway I'd never seen before. I walked amongst the trees ripe with early spring life and the babbling creek running strong after the morning's rain. I listened to the birds sing their songs and watched the squirrels dart all around the dead branches and blooming flowers. Not another human soul crossed my path the entire way and yet I felt anything but alone. I was immersed in a profound experience of the interconnectedness of all that is, sensing my oneness with all of creation and with God in that creation, a God, through, a God who through us shares in all suffering and shares in all joy. I didn't have to practice gratitude. Gratitude grasped me on that walk. It welled up inside me, moved me beyond habit to inhabit, to inhabiting gratitude and feeling it overflow into thanksgiving. It was the difference between trying to make something happen and allowing something to happen, allowing something to happen to me and for me. And guess what? As a bonus, taking a Greenway walk was on my to-do list anyway. I hadn't planned it that way, but that was the way it came to me, as a gift to which I could only respond, thank you. So. Clear the decks, my friends, welcome, stop, look, go, and allow gratitude to grasp you as often as you possibly can. Inhabit it. When you do, you will find yourself even grateful for poverty, because as long as we aren't overly filled with activities and thoughts and possessions and envy and greed and even ourselves, we can be truly present and open to genuine abundance. When you inhabit gratitude, you will find yourself grateful for mourning, because even in our free fall state of grief and the brutal emptiness that defines it, especially in that state, we become vulnerable and open to a connection suffused with divine compassion and a whole new perspective on life. When you inhabit gratitude, you will find yourself grateful for hunger, for yearning, for all our yearnings are but fractals of our deepest yearning for God. And in this yearning, we enter the realm of infinite possibility where we come to know God's yearning for us, which I believe is the very same thing. And for all this, how can we be anything but grateful? Maybe not such crazy talk after all, Jesus.
and so indwelling divine. May we be present. May we shift our perspective. May we be open to new possibilities. May we inhabit gratitude, and may that gratitude overflow into infinite thanksgiving. Amen. So in a moment, we're going to do what are you thinking in the room with a three-centered awareness twist. I've added to it a time or two whenever I do a lesson that speaks to accessing divine truth beyond the use of our intellects. What are you sensing, feeling, and thinking? So folks on the live stream, you are also invited to join the online What Are You Thinking group on Zoom. The link is in the comments. We've got a great community of friends there who meet after the service each week to talk about the lesson and whatever is on their hearts. And they'd love to have you join them. And I'd encourage you all to also explore what you're sensing in your bodies and feeling in your hearts in addition to what you're thinking. So just click on the link to join, and the code to get in is 1417. And friends in the room, let's dismiss our friends on the live stream by putting our hands on our hearts. And as we do, let's remember that the divine indwells each one of us. That means that divine love, kindness, compassion, patience, goodness, the fruits of the Spirit are in all of us. So let's extend our other hand to our city and commit this week to sharing those fruits with the people around us, those with whom we live and work and go to school with everyone we encounter, helping to heal and repair our world. Amen. Amen. Folks on the live stream, you are dismissed. And folks in the room, let's just take a minute. If these recordings help you move forward on your spiritual journey, we hope you'll take an ownership stake in the community and support the health and well-being of the community. Go to our website, commonthreadchurch.org. The donate button is right there on the top. Thank you.